Welcome to the Channel Champions Podcast, powered by Evolve IP, hosted by Zach Anderson. Today, we'll explore the always evolving landscape of the IT, telephony, and communications channel. If you are a trusted advisor, strategist, IT consultant, or sales engineer, this one's for you. Today's guest is... Welcome to the Channel Champions Podcast. This is episode 13. I'm very excited about our guest today. He is the president of Vocal Point Consulting that he started in 2010, and he's got over 21 years in the technology space. He is a very busy guy. He's the chairman of the board of the Orlando Technology Group, a technology advisory board member for the Conductive Education Center of Orlando, also advisory board member for the National Customer Service Association, and is also the host of the Cloud Sherpa podcast on YouTube. Truly a channel champion, I am proud to welcome Mr. Derek Rausch. Sir, thanks for having me, Zach. Thank you for so much for coming on. Um, today, we are going to be talking about a lot. Um, generally speaking, we want to talk about the the technology landscape, the trends that Derek and his company sees, um, and also how the technology advisors in general or trusted advisors are evolving. Um, so that's kind of the the main uh, topic of today. But before we get into that, I want to just go over a little bit of backstory, um, give give you a little bit of time to uh, tell your story a little bit. So tell me, how did you get started in the channel in the first place? Well, I started in technology around 2002, working for a company called Exponets that got purchased by Avaya. So um, I'm one of the rare breeds that came from like the hardware side. Uh, so a lot of people in this industry come from that, like that network side of, uh, you know, the, the, all the MCI WorldCom stuff and, um, AT&T and all the, the breakup of the bells. So a lot of guys in the industry are from that piece of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I cut my teeth on the hardware side, started, getting into designing some of the systems. I was, uh, you know, one of the early, uh, adopters of IP, uh, where, you know, we helped, um, start selling and, and, you know, designing that, uh, IP office that, uh, Avaya put out, you know, one of the first IP systems to the market. Mm-hmm. Um, so worked in that industry for a little bit until, you know, Avaya chewed us up and spit us out. <laughs> um, Worked for a couple of different, you know, Avaya resellers that would resell Avaya and other solutions. Um, but I was never comfortable there. Um, got recruited by a Gallivert Paytech one day. Huh. And uh, she said, you know, hey, come work for me. And I'm like, I don't want to sell T1s. <laughs> I'm like, I, I want this big fat check. I don't care about right. these little measly, you know, uh, you know, commissions that you guys are making. She's like, no, no, we have this whole division that sells Avaya and, uh, you know, they're getting into Cisco and stuff like that. I said, okay, I'll take a look at it. Ended up working for them for about five years. Um, and it was good because I learned a lot about the network side of it. So, you know, not only did I have to know the hardware, but I had to know the network as well. And it it gave me a well-rounded, um, you know, uh, just education and, uh, knowledge to be able to take to the customers. Um, but if you know anything about Paytech, 
uh, in the merger with U.S. Select and what was there, McGraw. Uh, gosh, what else did we have? Um, well, then, of course, Windstream came along. Yep. Uh, so we just had all, uh, tons of M&A activity. And every time, you know, you go through M&A, your job title changes, your role changes, your quota changes, all that stuff. And in 2010, I just said to my wife, I'm like, you know, I, I really feel like I can do something better on my own. Mm-hmm. And I actually went out doing straight consulting, um, helping clients migrate from one PBX to another. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it was probably, that was in 2010. It was probably about a year into it that um, I met a gal uh, by the name of Carla Rorty over at Intellisys, and she introduced me to this whole um, recurring revenue model. And so I started selling, you know, to some of my clients, things like MPLS, you know, and you start looking at it and you go, dang, that $750 a month check is just going to keep coming in perpetuity. Um, and then you start doing the math and go, wow, maybe there's something to this recurring revenue thing. Mm -hmm. So I guess it was probably, maybe three more years into it that we started seeing the cloud develop. Um, I remember being at an MSP show, uh, actually here in Orlando and there was all these companies that were popping up and they called themselves cloud this and cloud that. And and I'm thinking, man, these guys are nuts. We already tried this with Centrex and it didn't work. Um, so I, I really thought it was a fad. Um, but gosh, about a year after that, I'm looking at it and going, dang, this ain't going away. And you start seeing this development of the cloud. And it wasn't long after that where we completely rebranded, um, where we are 100% cloud, cloud focused today. We don't touch hardware at all. Um, so that's really the story of how we got to where we're at today. Uh, and we continually work on that message as far as how we can serve our clients. Mm -hmm. So how has the technology advisor or trusted advisor role, how has that changed from the time that you started till what it is today? I remember early on when we started in this industry, when we got into the, the whole recurring revenue model, um, I would see these guys uh, have these websites and they, and they would post these pictures with their client, you know, $10,000, you know, on a big fat check because that's what they saved them over the next uh, three years or $100,000 or whatever. Um, and I thought, wow, that's pretty cool marketing. But the more you looked into it, they were just quote machines. Um, mm-hmm. They were pulling quotes and saying, here's, you know, three or four quotes, pick one. Um, and then they got paid on that. Right. Um, I didn't want to be that. Uh, I, I, I had seen, you know, death by PowerPoint and all the spin selling models that we were taught at Avaya. Um, you know, and, and I just said, I want to be different. Uh, so, you know, we got out of that pretty quick. We, we never really went there. We never wanted to say, you know, Hey, you know, we're just agents. We'll go out there and source all these quotes for you. And then you can figure out which one is the best for you, Mr. Customer. And, and away we go. Um, we, we wanted to flip the script. 
we wanted to say, what's the problem you're trying to solve? And then we'll find you the right technology to solve it. So that's why we call ourselves cloud Sherpas. Um, we want to guide you through that process. You know, we're not experts in the technology. We got people like you guys who are experts mm-hmm. in the technology, right? Right. Um, and we've got engineers at, you know, Atelisys, Avant, Sandler, you know, and all the other um, TSDs. Mm-hmm. So if I can tap into those guys for the expertise, all we have to do is guide our client through the process. Mm-hmm. And that's really where we've landed today. Mm. And have you seen the role of the TSD change in the time that you've, um, you know, since the time you started Vocal Point? Um, yeah, I, I think early on, um, the TSDs were more involved in our business way more early on. Uh, nowadays I, I rarely hear from any of the TSDs, hmm. uh, Part of it is we don't need them as much, you know, because we're a little bit more self-sufficient. Sure. Um, But the other part of that is, you know, um, I think some of their resources and their go-to-market strategy has changed too, where they're um, trying to provide more of, you know, the engineering resources and, um, you know, giving support to... uh, the agents on the back end, um, you know, that maybe don't have, uh, some of the back, you know, back of the house, uh, type mm-hmm. things, mm-hmm. uh, for, you know, commissions and, uh, escalations and things of that nature. Um, but really probably the only time I really engage the TSDs is when I need that high level engineering support, or if we need some sort of escalation all the way to, you know, uh, level level three or level four um mm-hmm. inside of a organization hmm. interesting i know that um obviously there's a lot of you know private equity and there's you know obviously like you said there's been a lot of mergers and acquisitions you know throughout the entirety of you know your your channel tenure per se but how do you think private equity has affected um the trusted advisor community and the TSD community. That's a tough one. I mean, we, we get approached all the time um, by private equity, and I honestly haven't looked into it. Um, you know, I might be old, but I'm not that old. <laughs> I still feel like I got quite a bit of life in me. Um, got I don't, I don't know if I'll ever quit working per se, but. Um, you know, I, I don't really, I don't understand some of the numbers um, or or some of the game that's played there. I, I get where, you know, maybe they, you know, some of these guys are getting a lump sum to walk away. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to say like what control that they actually have in the process anymore or, or how much say they have over their customer. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them, they, they say, oh, yeah, you have full control over the customer. It's still your customer. You know, we'll just give you a path to exit over the next, you know, 10, 15 years. Um, and, I mean, I've worked in numbers before. And it's hard for me to, to fathom because our average tenure for our client is about seven or eight years. Uh, most of our clients are going to stick around a long time. So if you averaged out like what you you're bringing in, um, on a monthly basis, 
versus selling out, it, the numbers just don't make sense to me um, mm. unless they're offering, you know, millions to walk away. And I don't think they are. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it's a tough one. I, I, I don't know how that's going to shake out with the whole private equity market. Um, but it, it remains to be seen. You know, I, I think it definitely gives a lot of us guys a path to walk away. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not sure if it's, it makes sense until you're probably really a good four or five years from retiring. Yeah. And the other thing I think is interesting about private equity is that, you know, a lot of the reason that, you know, trusted advisor owners of these trusted advisor companies, the reason they get into this business is because they were in corporate America. They, you know, they want to get out of that landscape of, you know, like you said, hitting quotas and sort of being, you know, subject to the uh, the rulings of, you know, the higher ups, right? Yep. But then you've got private equity coming in and you're right, like how much, how much do they really, how much say do they really have over that company? It's almost like you're, you're, you know, you're going away from your original intention of getting away from having that hierarchy. And now you've got, you know, and, and I see your point, like, yes, there is an exit strategy, but it seems almost counterintuitive to the idea of why you got into the business in the first place. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, for me, I, I don't get it yet. I mean, you know, they, they would have to really offer us a high, high number to be able to walk away. Mm-hmm. But the good thing is, is it should give suppliers confidence that the channel is still a good, you know, uh, go-to-market strategy in general. And I, I agree. That, so yeah. so that's definitely right. It's a good flag. It says, you know, hey, this is a viable, you know, organization and we see value in these companies going forward. So that is a good sign um, mm-hmm. in terms of the entire market. Uh, the hard part is, you know, there's not a lot of young guys getting into the business. So you know, all of us older guys that have been in the business 20 years or so, I mean, as we age out, I don't think there's enough younger people getting into this industry at the moment mm. to help, so, you know, fill that gap and, and support, you know, the industry going forward. Mm. Um, I'd love to see more younger people getting into the industry. Um, but I think that's something that the TSDs probably have to be better at as far as recruiting some of those younger guys hmm. um, and being able to tell the story of what this industry can do. Um, and I think even, you know, telling the story of, you know, hey, there's this whole path over here where you don't even need, you know, the degree to be able to start out at middle management and hopefully work your way up. You can actually get some expertise or even some certifications and go to work and build a business and never have to, you know, get into the rat race of the the colleges these days. Mm -hmm. Why do you think there aren't as many, you know, folks in, in a younger generation coming up into the, into the channel? I just think it's getting the word out. Um, and, and I think really, honestly, even companies like mine, we have to do better at recruiting some guys, um, that are younger. In fact, both the guys I have working for me are in their thirties, you know, um, and I, I'd be ecstatic if they, you know, wanted to fly the nest one day and, and build their own thing. That's fine. I'm good with that. 
uh, because I can always backfill that role. Right. Um, but I think we have to be able to get the message out there and, and tell that story. And so it's up to us as well as the TSDs to do that. Do you think that the the market today, and by market I mean like there are obviously more trusted advisor companies out there today than there were when you started. So do you think that um, there aren't as many new entries today into the, the market because it is a little bit more saturated? Or, I mean, what do you think the path is going to be the same coming in, you know, building a whole new business today as a trusted advisor um, versus when you started? It's difficult because, and most people will tell you, uh, I, I know a lot of guys that still work for like the carriers and such. And I've said, man, you're, you're, so, you're so great at sales. You should get into this industry. But they realize the ramp up in this industry and, and the need to probably take a good two years. So you're talking about guys that are making maybe 150, 200 grand a year and coming down a notch to maybe making zero to, you know, 30, 40 grand that first year and, you know, maybe even less. Uh, I, I think my first year in this business, I might've made like $12,000. It was, it was rough, you know? Right. So, you know, you've got to have some sort of support. Luckily I had a wife that said, you know, honey, I support you, do what you need to do. Um, and it took us a couple of years to build the business, but you know, a lot of guys can't do that. Um, I had one buddy that, you know, he's like, man, I, I, I got a big house on the beach. I've got six kids. I, I got too big of a nut. I can't walk away from the money I'm making in order to start this business. And I think that's really the hard part. So uh, I think TSDs um, really should start trying to figure out how to be more of an incubator. Um, how do they, you know, provide the resources and the knowledge to build a business? Uh, you know, what are all the things you're going to need as far as putting an LLC together and finding a CPA and, you know, all the little things that, you know, you go, wow, I'm a great salesperson. I'll go out and start selling on my own. But you don't realize all the back-end business stuff that you have to do uh, on the everyday, you know, to, to be successful. And that's, mm -hmm. that's the difficult part. And I think the TSDs should start getting into more of that incubation of the, uh, of the new businesses. Do you think there's any areas um, in the U.S. Or, or North America where there's still untapped like uh, organizations that could use the services of a trusted advisor? The reason I ask is because you know if if there are if we do want to culminate the, the the next generation trusted advisor, I think like there's got to be you know sort of gaps that that could be filled. So do you think there are still those gaps? I think there's a gap overall. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's regional. I don't, um, I think some of your larger cities, you know, Chicago, New York, you know, um, some of the businesses that, you know, put their roots in some of these big cities, they, they probably understand, you know, consultants. Um, but most of them, when they think of consultants or advisors, they're thinking of like an Accenture or a KPMG that's, you know, going to stick somebody in my organization, you know, for, uh, you know, a year or two 
uh, to help me develop this technology, you know, roadmap. And I'm going to pay them $200,000 a year. And then at the end of it, I might get, you know, some information that will help me. Um, that's not what we do. Most of us, I should say, uh, I would, I think the majority of technology advisors today do charge for their time on the front end because we, we started to realize our time is valuable, even right. though we're, we're making these recurring revenue, uh, streams on the back end. Um, but I think there's still a huge gap in the industry as far as letting businesses know that we even exist. Uh, we've seen this in the you know, technology advisor alliance, um, where we've had these discussions of, you know, how do we get the word out there to businesses? Because most of them, when you start telling your story, they're like, wow, I didn't even know you guys existed. I didn't know I could come to, uh, an independent advisor that would walk me through this whole procurement process and look over my contracts and, you know, and, and then help me with project management and implementation. I had no idea, you know, because, uh, IT guys, uh, CTOs, CIOs, they're so buried on the everyday mundane task of break fix that they can't even, you know, do the research and find people like us. Right. I, I just talked to a guy up in Cleveland um, and he's got, you know, 35 locations and he comes in every day. He's a CTO. He comes into work every day. And the first thing he does is answer 300 emails of, you know, password resets and, you know, all this other stuff. And, and he, here's a guy that's got, you know, almost 600 employees and only three people. He's got him himself and two other, you know, IT admins that are handling all the IT throughout the co company. Mm -hmm. He's like, you know, Derek, I, I need to exit at some point. I'm going to retire soon. So how do I figure out? how to move and migrate all this stuff to the cloud and put some management around it where I can walk away comfortably knowing that they're going to be able to handle it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's some of the stuff that we can do, but getting our story out there is half the battle, uh, right. because so many companies just don't even know that we exist at the moment. How has, uh, I mean, okay. So have you ever, have you ever run into situations where a, an organization has used a, technology advisor but they had like a bad experience for example and then if so like how have you overcome that i actually haven't um the closest to that i can think of is i remember i had a client it was actually an msp that brought us into a uh organization um and the company had no it they had locations in Florida and New York, and they were, you know, trying to, you know, clean up their telecom. And the MSP, I think, didn't understand enough of our story. So shame on us uh, to a point, right? Um, but they didn't understand how to tell our story enough. And I had hit the MSP up and I, I said, hey, whatever happened to that, op that opportunity that you were working on? Um, and they said, oh, they went a different direction. But I said, well, let me just give him a call. And I called the lady up um, who was one of the owners of the company. And she's like, no, I still need you. She understood what we did, mm. but the MSP didn't. And so we had to go back in and, and um, 
you know, try to clean up all their telecom, which we did, uh, you know, found a couple grand a month in savings, you know, uh, over the, you know, several years, uh, you know, prior, Hmm. but that's part of the battle is, you know, even, uh, even the companies that we work with that might recommend us is telling that story. So uh, again, it goes back to, you know, how do we tell the story of what we do? Um, but yeah, I, I haven't run into a true advisor that was in there, um, that a company had a bad experience with that hasn't happened to us. That's great. That's good. It's I mean, good, but it's also bad because it means there's not <laughs> there's not enough of us out there. That's true, and that kind of brings us back to our last point of you know there's there's still room, um, which yeah, ultimately that's it's good and bad, you know, good good yeah. for the future, but you know, um, so do, do you feel like just like the example of the company that you just said, how their IT staff, their CTO is overburdened? Do you find that to be the case with a particular company size, like mid-level, small, you know, small business, or like do you do you ever find that with enterprise type businesses? What we've found is, uh, if we're dealing with companies that have less than a hundred employees, or maybe less than about ten million in revenue, mm-hmm. um, then typically they don't have much of an IT staff, if any. Um, some of them were just using like an MSP to to manage some services, and then they're, you know, it's their the the company owner or you know the finance guy that knows a little bit about IT is helping out with some of the break fix stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really like getting into some of the smaller companies because when we do get into them, they start looking at us like the IT staff, and 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 we're not. I'm I'm not going to mess with your DNS on your routers or anything like that. Um, so we try to stay like above that 100 user range up to about maybe 5,000 users. Um, you start getting above that and, and yeah, we'll certainly hunt squirrels and feast on elephants, so to speak. Um, was old slogan. My, one of my old bosses used to say, um, but, when you get above that 5,000 mark, um, and into the billion dollar corporations and such, the, the red tape is, you know, so much, um, like when you start dealing with say hospitals, uh, Mm -hmm. and you've got, you know, five different CEOs and 20 different CFOs and yeah, you have no idea who's really making the decisions and it's just, very convoluted. The process is very convoluted. Um, and, and it's just such a long sales cycle. So we typically stay around maybe 200 users to about 2000 is really kind of that sweet spot that we stay in. Okay. Have you noticed that, you know, like maybe in the past few years, especially with COVID and stuff, um, that it budgets are, uh, are, are less than what they were before COVID or just before the last couple of years or, um, I mean, what do you think? I think IT budgets have certainly shrunk, um, because companies think that they can do more with less and, you know, in some cases they can, um, you know, maybe 
migrating some of that to, to cloud solutions is a better you know way to go. Cybersecurity is a good example. Um, mm -hmm. Every company wants to be secure, but yet they don't want to pay 150 grand a year for somebody to come on staff and handle cybersecurity for them. Mm -hmm. Well, for that matter, we can probably outsource it for less than a hundred a year, um, the same solution and, and, and get them more for less. Mm -hmm. So I think companies definitely realize there's some cost savings in cloud. Uh, so I think budgets have certainly shrunk a little bit. Um, it's just allocating resources from one area to another is all it is at the end of the day. Uh, because most of these companies are, you know, like I said, the, the one large client that we're dealing with right now that has three guys handling, uh, you know, 600 users, you're not a CTO at that point. You, there's no strategy involved. You're just handling break fix. Why do you think security has been so popular? Uh, just, you know, in the, in the channel circle for the last couple of years? Well, because every conversation, whether it's, you know, you're going in there talking about unified communications, or if you're talking about migrating data to the cloud, um, or if you're talking about, you know, uh, having a business continuity disaster recovery, um, you know, solution in place, every single thing, there's a security component attached to that, to it. There's it, security's got to be part of the conversation in mm -hmm. everything. And so I think as, you know, these conversations have evolved um, over time, you know, more and more companies realize that. And so they're popping up with different security solutions or different ways to um, secure environments. And, you know, it's our job to try to figure out, well, number one, what is your risk tolerance? And then number two, um, you know, how do we put the tools in place that make sense? Because some some clients, you know, with multiple locations, maybe uh, they they want, you know, a quarantine strategy where they'll allow things to come in, but we we quarantine it right away. Um, for example, like in the way Exidium might work, you know, where I'll I'll let it come in, but then you know uh, that hacker is going to think he's in the system, but he's really in a sandbox, right? Um, and, and then they can handle it from there. Whereas other companies want, you know, oh, I, I'd rather have that email go off to um, a sock and that sock will look it over, uh, make sure it's clean and then send it back to me um, and put eyeballs on it. So it just depends on the approach that the clients want to take. Uh, and then, you know, it's always up to us as well to try to figure out, you know, what's your RPO and RTO, your recovery point objective and your recovery time objective. You know, are you, you know, um, risk adverse? You know, I've got one company right now that's got a two-minute RPO, and they're paying way too much for it. They don't need a two-minute RPO. They were oversold. Right. Um, you know, but uh, it's understanding those things. And then the other thing to understand for us is is compliance. You know, um, PCI, HIPAA, SOX, um, you know, if we don't, have some sort of understanding about the compliance that's involved, um, then we're never going to have a seat at the table. It, but I, but I told somebody, um, in one of the webinars that we were on just the other day, uh, they were talking about cybersecurity 
And I said, well, don't try to be an expert in cybersecurity because you'll lose every time. Uh, what you need to do is be an expert in the procurement process and understanding the companies that are out there. And so that's really, you know, again, it goes back to the messaging of us and then where we've landed. But, um, yeah, cybersecurity definitely has to be a part of every single conversation right now. And, and it's really because of the way the market's driven, because you, we went from all these um, ransomware attacks to, you know, um, starting to get into AI and deep fakes, um, you know, where the phishing has gotten really sophisticated, where emails look very uh, real. But now we're getting into, you know, um, not just images that are created with AI, but now they only need like three seconds of your voice to create a deep fake of your voice. And then, you know, you could get a you know, call in the middle of the night, hey, you know, daddy, I'm in a Mexican prison. Can you, the federales won $5,000 to release me. Will you please send the money? Um, and you think it's real. So that's the kind of stuff that we're dealing with now with AI. And then I think quantum computing is just a whole nother ball game. That's going to just totally break, you know, any encryption uh, that we have today. So mm. It's a wide, wide, wild, wild west right at the moment. Sure. Yeah, I, I definitely want to get into, uh, I want to ask you about some of your big predictions for like what's next beyond maybe AI or security or what have you. But I wanted to touch on something that you made me think of. Um, you mentioned like advisors don't have to be experts. So mm -hmm. do, you, do you feel like partners or, or trusted advisors get into situations or miss opportunities because they feel like they have to be an expert on what they're, what they're selling. Absolutely. I, I think, um, we, and we've been guilty of it in the past too. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's been a learning process throughout the years of, um, understanding where we play well, but when you start realizing all the resources that are out there through the TSDs and, mm -hmm. and even companies like yours that evolve, um, you know, I mean, you guys have, uh, some very good engineers on staff. And if we had a conversation with our client, your engineers, um, and they realize it's just not a great fit for y'all. I think you guys would be the first to say, you know, Hey, um, we'll help you out, you know, by having this front end conversation, but we just don't see this as a good fit. And, and I think you would agree that you'd be willing to lose quickly in that deal so that you're not wasting a lot of time, but there's so many resources for us out there today. And, and I think this also goes to the fact that, um, as a, uh, advisor in the industry, we don't have to be everything. Mm -hmm. Um, I've got a company that I'm working with another agent in this industry who's another advisor and they can do everything that we do. But one of the things that they do really well is the um, front end auditing. So they'll come in and do a free audit and share in the you know cost savings with our client. Hmm. And then that helps offset the cost that we're charging on the front end. Now we get to be able to come in and write up a scope of work and a roadmap for their IT department um, and put together a, a full IT strategy and start implementing those solutions. And we did that without any out-of-pocket for the client. 
that's a win-win for us. Yeah. We've got other guys that are really good at, you know, Microsoft that I can tap into. Um, but I think it's just getting that knowledge of the resources that are out there so that we don't have to be everything to everybody, you know, because it's easy to get shell shock and go, oh my God, I can't have a cybersecurity discussion. I don't, I don't, I don't even know what a router is. I don't, you know, understand ingress and egress and, you know, all that stuff. So yeah, I think we lose a lot, you know, because of uh, just having that fear of, you know, getting into some of those conversations. Absolutely. That's cool that you are, you know, I, I think, and I've noticed that there is definitely more of a collaborative mindset when it comes to the trusted advisor community. Um, was that, is that pretty recent? I mean, what was it like? What was the landscape like between, you know, different trusted advisor companies back when you started versus today? Um, I think it's changing a lot and a lot more rapidly lately. Mm. Um, I think that's really only been over the last couple of years. Mm. Um, Tolaris uh, tried something similar a long time ago. I remember they used to have this thing in their back office where they would you know, if you were say a hardware reseller that they would give you leads mm. and, you know, trying to make some collaborative effort between, um, the guys that maybe dealt with the hardware versus the guys that were dealing with cloud and software. Um, and then, you know, there's, there was other guys, um, in the industry that were talking about collaborative effort between MSPs and, and the agent community. Um, the, the problem I always had there was most of the MSPs were dealing with smaller businesses that I didn't want to deal with. Um, and, and we tried those kind of, you know, collaborative efforts, but it got to a point where, um, we had one MSP that we were dealing with and they said, we just don't want to deal with telecom. It's not our forte. We don't want to touch it. But every time we went in to go, you know, we got five locations we're doing fiber for, for their, uh, customer. Um, at some point I need your input because you are the IT guy. And, you know, th the more I kept hounding these guys, I'm like, no, I need you involved in it to a, to an extent, um, because you need to tell me what IP address I need here or how many IPs I need on this network and so forth. Um, and it, and it got to be a point of contention where, um, they just sh kind of shut down on us. The other part of that is that MSP wasn't sharing what we were giving them in the deal. They weren't sharing that with their sales reps. So the owners were keeping the money. And so now the sales rep had no incentive to bring us into the opportunity. All right. So, uh, I, the MSP angle, I just never saw, uh, it didn't work well for us. Um, but I think within the agent community, other advisors that do things well, um, and you know, ones that, uh, you know, can maybe fill gaps here and there. I think that's a, a better way to collaborate, um, than trying to, you know, uh, deal with guys that are, you know, maybe handling, you know, the MSPs work and the cybersecurity work or the break fix work and all that. I think that's, uh, essentially what happens with these, uh, call them super agents or like mini TSDs. Like, I think that's where that comes from is just the 
you know, collaborative nature of trusted advisors. They come together, they've, you know, and then the beauty of it is you bring the, uh, call it the, the customer basis together. So now you have the multiple uh, skills that you can apply, but to a broader uh, sort of customer base. Um, and, you know, it, obviously you've, we've seen a lot of other TSDs pop up in the last few years. So do, do you think that is is what's causing the other the, the other TSDs to kind of pop up now? Or do you think it's um, there are other things that the the big TSDs aren't doing that's causing um, these smaller TSDs to pop up? I think it's more of the latter, to be honest with you. Um, so, so what I see, Zach, is, you know, there's like AI is changing the landscape. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of TSDs that are going to look at the tools. Um, there are a couple already that are starting to, you know, utilize um, some tools where, you know, we could maybe send our client like an affiliate link. Mm. Hey, you don't need to buy your Microsoft licensing straight from Microsoft and, and you know, sit on the phone for two hours waiting for a tier one guy to help you out. You can actually go in here. And this TSD, um, we, of course, we don't have to tell the client a TSD. They're never going to understand what a TSD is. But nevertheless, we'd say, get your licensing here and you get free tier one and tier two support. Mm. Um, you know, and that support is within, say, you know, eight minutes or whatever, instead of an hour on the phone. Right. Right. Um, that's a big win. And, and I think some TSDs are starting to see that. Uh, I think you're going to see some of those AI tools. Um, I, I know some companies out there that are trying to raise funding for um, creating these ecosystems where uh, maybe a CTO can go in there and say, I need this, this, and this, and this, and here's my requirements, and let the AI spit out what company would be best for them. Mm -hmm. I think that's going to happen, um, and I think it's going to happen pretty soon. Okay. What other, uh, let's get into some, some trends here. So, uh, what are some of your call it bold predictions or, you know, just, just for the channel in the next couple of years, or, or maybe some trends that, you know, in your eyes, aren't getting enough attention or, or should be getting more attention. I think one of the areas that a lot of agents aren't tapping into enough right now. Um, and it's, I think it, honestly, I think it's the next huge wave is that desktop as a service, uh, the cloud computing. Um, I said it a couple of years ago where I think there's going to come a day when you walk into Best Buy and you buy literally, instead of buying a computer, you're buying literally a shell. And I'm not getting just my, I'm not getting my CPU and my RAM um, and, my, and my applications from the cloud, but I'm also getting my bandwidth from the cloud. Mm. So... I think there's going to come a day when you do that and you're going to walk in and buy like a $200 shell of a computer and all the resources come from the cloud. Um, so I think uh, agents need to understand this whole desktop as a service movement. If you've got, say, a call center client, um, you should be talking to them about DAS because how many agents do they have working from home right now um, where yeah. you could offer them a DAS solution? And it could even be just a Chromebook where I'm logging into a browser and getting access to a fully secure platform and I'm not having to worry about 
uh, what cable provider they're on at home or what security they have on their, you know, own laptop that they're using to answer calls with, mm-hmm. uh, it, you know, and it takes care of a lot of that compliance with, you know, PCI or HIPAA and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So that's an area I think that's huge, um, that needs to be looked at. Um, and a lot of agents probably are sitting on gold mines within their own base, um, that, you know, they don't even realize, uh, you know, all the money that's sitting there. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with like advisors want to feel like they are the expert and, and I've, you know, I come from sales too. So when you're talking to somebody like a, a prospective customer and you don't feel a hundred percent, you know, like maybe, maybe you think, you know, this might be a good prospect for dads, but like, I'm not really sure how, if, if the use case makes sense or what have you, it's, it, it, I feel like it's a lot of the same with, with Daz, um, unfortunately. And that's something that we try to talk about too, is like, you know, here are all the use cases. And just like you said, like there, there are so many use cases that yes, there, there are, there is a gold mine of, of, uh, of prospective customers and their customer yep. base, but you know, it just really kind of comes back to, you know, a lot of folks just don't feel like they have the, uh, the wherewithal to, to talk about it, you know, cause as an advisor, you, you're used to being sort of the, the smartest guy in the room or the smartest girl in the room. Yep. And, you know, so, so how do you, how, how have you gotten past that? I mean, you know, when, when you're talking to these prospective clients and you feel like this one solution could be a fit, but you don't know too much about it. Like what's your, what's been your process for that? So again, yeah, it kind of goes back to that messaging, right? And, and positioning ourselves correctly. Um, but yeah, in the old days, I, I had a boss that used to tell me, Derek, make sure you're the smartest person in the room. So when I worked at uh, Windstream and Paytech, um, I wanted to know everything about MPLS. I wanted to understand the network because I wanted to make sure if I have my network guy in the room and, I, and I'm in there you know, supporting the hardware, I wanted to make sure I was the smartest guy. Mm-hmm. Um, that played to my detriment as I got into this industry, because the more you try to be the smartest guy in the room, the more the IT director just wants to get into a pissing match with you and <laughs> right, yeah. tell you, no, I know more about technology than you do. And so it, it took us, it took me literally a while to kind of figure out how to humble myself and mm-hmm. say, how can I present this in a way that we don't have to be the smartest guy in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where we, you know, we started getting into understanding that we're at the end of the day, we're tech Sherpas, right? We're, we're not experts in the technology. We're experts in the process mm-hmm. and then we're experts in the contract negotiations. Um, we're weird in the way that we actually read contracts. We dig into them. Mm-hmm. And so, we, we write clauses in our contracts for our clients um, that are going to shore up their SLA or make sure that term and termination is covered uh, heavily. Uh, you know, this is a bad relationship. How do I get out of it? How do I pivot? Um, and we've had those examples where we've had to take a client that, you know, was in a bad contract. Um, they wanted, the company wanted $299,000 in ETFs, early termination fees. 
uh, we negotiated that down to $40,000 and got another provider to come in and eat the $40,000 and give the client some rebates back on Polycom phones. They got 58 back in their, in their pocket. <laughs> so bad. that's the kind of stuff that we want to focus on, right? Um, if we can focus on being good at the procurement, the contract negotiation, and then the project management. So when we deliver a scope of work to a client, we're going to say, Hey, this is what we see as the problems and here's the solutions and the, uh, you know, solution providers or the vendors that we feel are going to meet those needs, uh, at least to like a 90% level. Um, but if the client at that point wants to take our work and buy from their cousin at CDW or whatever, so be it. Um, at least we're making a little bit of money on the front end, you know, and then they can go wherever they want. But if they're truly trusting us, which the majority of the time they will, mm -hmm. they're going to, you know, uh, stay on board with us and go with one of our recommendations. Now, that's the value add is that's where the value add really kicks in is because if they go with what we're recommending, well, then we dig into their contract. Uh, then we provide the project management to make sure that that, you know, project stays on track because it's not always just one vendor. It might be a network vendor and a cybersecurity vendor and a DAS vendor, you know, all involved in this one larger solution. And so we want to quarterback that. We want to help make sure that everything gets installed and that, you know, uh, time constraints are met, budgets are met and all that. So, yeah, I mean, it's just a, it's all about the messaging. It's all about positioning ourselves correctly so that we don't have to say, yeah, we're experts in cyber security. No, I'm not an expert. I, but I'll, you know, surround myself with really smart people and I'll bring those guys to the table when needed. Um, what advice would you have for suppliers, um, that are trying to, uh, earn a partnership with you or, or any advisor for that matter? That's a good question. <laughs> Cause I mean, yeah, we get hit up probably, I don't know. I get at least five to 10, um, emails or phone calls from other, uh, solution providers, whether it's, you know, a backup and a recovery solution that's brand new or, you know, some, uh, DevOps company that wants to, uh, you know, partner with us. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say number one, just be honest, let us know exactly where you feel you fit with your customers. Um, I've had some vendors that say they do a lot of stuff and they don't really do it. So don't over promise and under deliver. Um, yeah. And I tell every channel manager and every vendor that we ever work with, it's not baseball. You know, I, I can't afford three strikes. If, if you, you know, really screw up a client, then I'm probably just not going to work with you again. Mm. Yeah. We have today, I think we're actually over 600 different solution providers that we can bring to the table. That's a lot. That covers you know, a good majority of the industry. Um, and then we have some direct agreements with, you know, uh, a client maybe needed a certain solution. And so we went out and sought that solution. Hmm. Um, 
or, or, you know, providers that we thought were just unique. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it is a good question. I, I don't have a really good answer for you, Zach. Um, other than don't overpromise and underdeliver, you know, I mean, they have to really know who they are and what they can, you know, what gap they can fill for us. Mm-hmm. Love it. Um, yeah, we're coming up on time. So I, I always like to ask, uh, about advice that you might have, obviously, I like the question about the suppliers because we are a supplier, but um, what about advice for, say, a younger Derek when you're first getting into the channel? Or, you know, we talk about the potential of new trusted advisors coming up, the new generation, right? What do you, what advice do you have for either a younger you first, you know, first getting into the channel or like just, just any advisor? Probably the first thing I would say is um, learn how to live on beans and rice for a year or two (laughs) (laughs) because it's not easy, Um, but the the payoff is real Um, and the the benefits of being in your own boss and, you know, being able to create and and really go your own way um, is there's so much freedom in it. It's, it's an amazing thing to, to be able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but don't be scared. Uh, but I, I definitely would say have some cost savings, you know, have some savings in the bank where you can, you know, live lean for a good year or two, because we often think, Oh, I can go out tomorrow and I could sell this solution and then I can get it implemented and I can make a thousand dollars a month on that particular client. Um, well, it's not always that way. Sometimes you get caught up in in legal, you know, battles that go back and forth and, you know, contract negotiations and um that sales cycle that you thought was gonna be two weeks or three weeks ends up being three or four months. And then it's three months to get it installed. And then I'm not paid until, you know, after that so I'm six months in and then my uh, TSD has to get paid, then I get paid. So I'm a good eight months out before I even see a paycheck on that. Yeah. Um, that's the, the thing that you have to realize in this industry. So, um, you know, a lot of guys will find partners, um, that know the industry well, and, you know, maybe they have clients from, you know, a previous, uh, role that they were in that they can bring over. Um, and if you can do that, man, that's, that's a great thing, but it's not always the case. So just, you're going to have to learn how to live lean, but the payoff is real. I love it. Mr. Roush, thank you so much for coming on. I really had a good time. Um, I, uh, I hope we can do it again because I feel like we could probably go on for another hour or two. Um, so I'd love to catch up with you in, uh, maybe a couple months and do another one. Uh, if you'll have me, of course. But uh, no, I yeah. really do. I really do appreciate it, and I think you've brought the listeners a lot of value today. So thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Zach. I appreciate you letting me come on. Yeah, and uh, tell everybody like how they can find you, and also like tell us what you've got coming uh, coming next. What's what's next for Vocal Point? 
Yeah, so vocalpointconsulting.com is the website. Um, you can always find me on LinkedIn. It's one of the few social medias that I'm on. Uh, I'm, I'm not an Instagram guy. I'm not a Facebook guy. Uh, <laughs> you know, so I, I'm a little bit uh, leery about cybersecurity and all, so um, I'm not on a lot of that stuff. But nevertheless, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, hit us up on our website or look us up on Cloud Sherpa. Uh, Cloud Sherpa is the... Uh, tagline for our uh, YouTube channel. Excellent. All right, everybody. That's it for today. Thank you so much for coming by. And Derek, we'll do it again soon. I appreciate it. Thanks, Zach. Appreciate it. That's a wrap on this episode of the Channel Champions podcast. You can find this and all our episodes on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or your favorite streaming platforms. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, guests, or topics, please reach out to us. We appreciate you coming along with us on this journey and hope you'll be back for the next episode. Until then, stay tuned, stay connected, and stay inspired.